Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Okay, hi everyone. Welcome back to Teacher Tales. And I'm just so excited that you're here because we have someone today that is going to take us on a journey from the classroom out into the real world and talk about uh, mental health and school and education and careers and paths. And we're going to have a lot of things we're going to talk about. And I'm, I'm just so glad she's here. I'm going to let in, in, her introduce herself and tell you a little bit about her journey. So hi, hi welcome. Uh, hi, yes. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Hannah Smith. I started my career in education as a third grade teacher. So I kind of got elementary and then I eventually moved to the middle school um, and taught some science and history. And then I left the classroom actually. And I went and got my master's in clinical mental health counseling. And I now work as a school counselor. So I've worked at both the junior, senior high level, and now I am in elementary. So I kind of have experience from both spectrums. Um, and just been able to really fuel my passion into helping students and kiddos just kind of, you know, figure out this mental health thing as well as incorporate SEL um, into my lessons and into classrooms and even even help teachers with that as well. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about kind of your journey leading up to that and your background, because I think it's really a rich background with a lot of connections we can make. Yes. Um, and also what you're doing now, because you are also building a business and you have a website, bethinkgrow.com, which is a resource for teachers and students and parents and everything. Mm-hmm. And so you're really living your passion and trying to help um, beyond the classroom, which is what we really want to do. So we're going to kind of touch on all those different aspects and get some ideas from you of what we can do for kids, what teachers can do for themselves, what admin can do for kids and teachers. You know, <laughs> yes, like absolutely. The, the, the whole can of worms. We're just going to pop <laughs> that the- thing open and let them <laughs> crawl out. So, yes, we so, are. So first of all, I love that you, um, in your bio, you said that you have lived, you lived in Asia for 14 years and you feel more like a third culture kid <laughs> most days. And you also said that you were, um, that you really, try to help military kids from mm. military families because you have a very special insight and connection to that. So want to want to give us some connections there and explanation of, of yeah what that is. yeah absolutely. So 
I do use the term third culture kid sometimes to describe my own feeling towards what my culture is. Um, I moved overseas into Okinawa, Japan when I was seven. Um, I lived there till I was around 14. And then we kind of bounced around the Pacific. I've lived in Korea. I've lived in two different places in mainland Japan, one year in Hawaii. And then I did my college experience in Tokyo. So I definitely grew up in that Asian culture and mainly Japan where the society is very different. Um, I definitely, if you don't know what a third culture kid is, it's somebody who lived in a country outside of their parents' culture. So you have your parents' culture where, you know, my parents are from the South. So Alabama and Tennessee, you have this Southern culture living in Japan. So you, you bring the, you know, the culture from Japan and then the Southern culture and you kind of create your own, you know, I love sweet tea, but I also love sushi. Like you have these kind of two different, uh, paradigms in your life and you kind of just mesh them together. And that the third culture is the one that incorporates both of those. So I, you know, grew up speaking the language and writing the language and identifying some days more with that type of mentality than, than most. Um, cause I didn't grow up, you know, I grew up as a military kid. And so when you grow up that way, you kind of cling to other military kids, um, especially on the bases and stuff. And so we all kind of cling together. And those moments are some of my favorite memories, you know, those friends become family and there's, I still have friends from when I lived in Okinawa that we still consider ourselves family and we don't talk every day, but we're still, you still have that connection, that bond. And it's hard to explain. And we even joke about it. We're like, it's some weird magical power. Like you just get bonded for life. Cause when you're over there, you don't have family and cousins and stuff. You have each other. And so it's, it's definitely a soft spot in my heart for kids who have gone through that and are who, who are going through that and dealing with all of those emotions of picking up and leaving and moving and seeing different countries and feeling like the oddball. And how do you deal with all the adjustments? And when I'm in a foreign country, I don't speak the language. How do I order food or at McDonald's or whatever? Um, so, so yeah, it's been, it's definitely been a soft spot. And I try to um, reach out to as many, you know, students, if I know they're military, I'm like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, <laughs> you know, and, and give them a safe spot, spot to talk about what they're going through. I think that's very important. Well, I think probably your background and experiences helped um, create a highly sensitive person who is very mm -hmm. in tune to all of these different things coming at us at once mm -hmm. and probably is such a great strength for you as a counselor and a coach, you know, mm -hmm. for mental health and well-being. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to talk about how you were at a highly achieving school and now <laughs> you're at a, in Florida and then you mm -hmm. um, are now at a school in Austin, Texas. Um, that has a, a, a larger population of English language learning students mm -hmm. and a more diverse population. So, mm -hmm. um, so, so with that background and, and having um, all those rich experiences, you said you became a third grade teacher and then mm -hmm. you did middle school. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what drew you to become a teacher? Why did you become a teacher? So I kind of fell into teaching. Um, I had moved to Florida and I had finished my bachelor's. My, my undergrad is in psychology. It's not even in teaching. And I was like, 
I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So that was kind of where I started. I was freshly out of college. I was like, never even crossed my mind to get into teaching. Like I was like, no, I'm going to go do, you know, all the other things. Um, but my aunt is a teacher and my aunt's been a teacher for about 32 years now. She's been a teacher for a long time. And my mom was always like, you should get into teaching. She's like, you love kids. Like you kids listen to you. Cause I would always help out at church and like, you know, do like little kids choir stuff and like, just kind of help out. And she'd be like, no, kids really listen to you. Like you, you can make an impact. And cause my biggest thing growing up was like, I just want to make a difference. I want to make a difference and help somebody. Cause I understand that I've lived this life that, you know, is, is really really rare. Like, you know, you don't hear about this a lot. And I was like, I want to take all of those experiences and I want to pour that back into somebody, even if it's one person. And that was kind of my driving passion into that. And so I just, you know, was like, okay, you know what, I'm going to do some teaching. I really love being with kids and I love the, that aspect of being in the classroom. So yeah, so I kind of fell into it. And that I realized how much I really did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. Um, this, the first year, of course, everyone knows it's your hardest year and you want to pull your hair out and you want to, <laughs> um, but I learned a lot and I learned a lot about myself too, how resourceful I can be and who to talk to and how to get help if I needed. Um, so it was, it was a really good experience being in the classroom and um, being in that atmosphere where you do feel that you are making a difference because you see those kids every day. So, so what was the, um, driving force that, you know, kind of led you from the classroom to mm -hmm. become, to, you know, pursue a degree, higher degree in counseling and become a counselor? So I was in the classroom and I, towards the, after I'd gotten into the middle school kind of arena, I had noticed like, I don't know any middle school teachers, you know, are listening, but middle school is a special <laughs> group of children and you have to understand their specific emotions and stuff of what they're going through. So that really was like, oh my gosh. And there's a handful of students. I still remember where I'm like, I need to help you. Like, how do, how can I help you learn? Because all this other stuff is getting in the way of that, you know? And so it really was like, just me trying to help these students and being like, oh, but I really like this. Like, I really enjoy this. Like them staying after school and, you know, they would oftentimes, can I, Miss Smith, can I just stay after school and talk to you? Or, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, sure. Or can I come in and eat lunch with you? And so building those connections. And I realized I was like, you know, this could be a job. Like you, I could actually do this. So at that point was when I started looking into graduate programs and um, started going more into mental health and what that looked like outside of the classroom. Mm -hmm. So you started in um, counseling in a mm -hmm. high achieving school. Mm -hmm. And so you want to just share a few little um, highlights of what you learned there and what you tried, what you tried as a counselor mm -hmm. and what worked, what maybe was not so successful. <laughs> and, um, and then we'll transition into where you are now. So just we'll start yeah. with the high achieving school first. So I had, um, before I had gotten into the high achieving school as a counselor, I had done a whole year long internship. Like I completely left the 
education field and did and went into neuropsychology where I was working um, with my mentor, Dr. Christine Salinas, and she formed me into, you know, kind of the counselor I am now, but her expertise and how the way that she poured into me helped me um, take all of that into the school atmosphere. So coming back into that at that school, there was a lot that I had studied over the, that year. Um, and then there was a lot that I was able to bring back from that experience. But I found the most, the biggest surprise, I guess, working with that population is the amount of times that the students would come in with anxiety issues, would come in feeling like they were nothing if they didn't get, you know, the classes or they would get if they didn't get straight A's, um, tying their self-worth to that grade, um, tying their whole entire being to how they did on that exam um, and developing their academic part of themselves. But a lot of times other parts of themselves would fall to the wayside. They wouldn't have anything else. And without those academics being perfect, they, you know, they would fall apart. And so I saw a lot of that. So I started to being, you know, I started groups, um, for like anxiety and stress management where we met during lunch and I I'm big on data. So I would take, you know, the start of the six weeks, where's your anxiety level? You know, we would do an assessment. I would go through a whole like curriculum that I developed and then I would give them a post assessment being like, where, how are you dealing with your anxiety now? And I mean, the, the data speak, speaks for itself. Just over those six weeks, I saw a drastic difference of these students who came in just riddled with they're barely holding themselves together because the expectations were so high and because they had all this pressure on them and because nobody was talking to them about it versus six weeks later, they're come in and they look like different kids and they're sleeping at night and they're able to do as well, if not better, because now they can they can understand what's going on inside them. So I really tried that. Um, so just real quick, can I um, interrupt there to yeah. ask a question about absolutely with them coming in at lunch and just talking, was it, mm -hmm. was that mostly what they did or did you have other strategies you used with them or did you find that just talking about it, having someone listen and mm -hmm. saying, I see you, I hear you, mm -hmm. I understand what you're going through. And it's okay. And you're okay. And you're enough. Yeah. Was it just that, but was there more and was there interaction Were there groups so the kids help support each mm -hmm. other or. Yeah. It... Yeah. So basically I, I kind of did a little bit of both. So each time we, each time that we met, I would have a different, like, um, like assignment we would do. So we would go through and we would learn a facet of what is anxiety, first of all? Because kids throw that term around. I'm anxious. What does that mean? Where are you feeling that in your body? How is that affecting your speech? How is that affecting your sleep? Where? Why does it even happen in the first place? So I started there. Like the first couple of weeks was just, here's your brain. Here's your brain with uncontrollable anxiety. And we would talk about that. And I'd break it down and give them like little, little worksheets they could do with the partner. And they'd sit there and they'd, you know, match things. Or there was one where they had to just sit there and color and Coloring and mindfulness is powerful itself. So like, you don't even have to do anything if you can just be mindful. So I would sometimes do stuff like that. And then the last, like, you know, few minutes of the class or the meetup, we would just sit and talk. And I'd be like, does anyone feel comfortable sharing what they're going through today? And it really was, I think that's what the kids needed the most was, 
yeah, I see you and I hear you. And I'm really sorry. That's so tough, but here's some examples and some coping skills that you can do to help with that. You don't have to go through this alone. You don't have to wonder how do I shut my brain off? Like, let's get into the habit of engaging in mindfulness. Let's go get in the habit of going on a walk when you feel overwhelmed or let's listen to some calm music. Let's look at the benefits of exercise. You need to get some exercise to calm your brain down sometimes, you know, and then if all of these other things that I give you that don't work, then we're going to talk about, you know, referrals to, to a clinical side person. So it was a bit of both and it, but I really do think sometimes students just need someone to be like, I hear you and it's mm-hmm. okay. And so then you transition and you're like, oh, but I can help teachers too, because this is a yeah. higher achieving school and um, teachers are stressed too. So how'd that go? Yes. <laughs> yes. Teachers are stressed. Oh my gosh. Um, so that was something I just started to pick up on. I started to see, you know, really look at teachers, not just pass them in the hallway, but, you know, so-and-so's, she drags her head three times out of the week or, you know, her, she doesn't, you know, or he looks like he's always looking at his feet or you look at the body language of people. And I'm very sensitive to that. So I would pick up on that and I would be like, Hey, like, how are you? Like, come in, let's, let's talk. Or I would catch them in the morning. And, um, so I really felt that there was a component missing there as far as how are we supporting our teachers and how are we doing it to where they actually feel it? Because there's a difference between, oh, it's gene day and we're going to support our teachers and you're, you know, versus what's going on? Like, are you okay today? Like, is it really stressful having all these students who also have these problems in your classroom? How are you handling that? Do you have good strategies? Do you, do you need some behavior management stuff? I have tons of that, you know? Um, so I started just kind of like put together a newsletter that would highlight some resources and that would, that I would send out and be like, Hey, if you ever want to talk, like, don't forget your counselors are here for you. Um, or if there's anything we can do, if you ever need a break, like just clear your head, I can come watch your class for you. Um, so it was just that kind of thing. I like adding in that extra layer of morale and support for them because teachers don't get enough of that. At least in my experience, they don't get enough of that true, true support there. Cause I mean, schools are notoriously understaffed or, you know, super busy. And so it's like, it's hard to get that, that support. Mm-hmm. But you had mixed reviews. You had some teachers that actually were kind of receptive or yeah. open to it. And then you had mm-hmm. some that were um, actually aggressive about I it. I had like, some that yeah. were aggressive. Yeah. So I got some nasty emails. Um, Cause I would email it out. Uh, I got the flyers thrown back in my box. Like after I put them out everywhere. Um, I mean, just tons of things like people talking about me and, you know, when people, you walk in the room, some, you know, someone's mentioning you or something. And so, but I just kind of let that fly off my back. Cause I'm like, you know what you can, if this is, um, an issue for you, then this that's on you. Like mm-hmm. if you, you really have to work through that and it would make me feel bad for them because we're not robots. And I think the stigma behind talking about your mental health is even truer in the education world because you become after a few years, you know, I saw a lot of teachers become that hardened and get that compassion fatigue. And that really needs to be addressed because that compassion fatigue can really translate over into the rest of your life. And you realize that now you're being irritable and you're frustrated all the time in your life. It's not just at work. It's now transferred, you know, over into every aspect and that, you know, really made me feel bad for them that you 
I'm literally, you know, just the messenger trying to help. And it wasn't, I knew I didn't take it personally because I was like, it's not about me. Like, this is about you not being able to, to handle that. Compassion fatigue is a good expression. Um, mm-hmm. And we didn't have it, I think, many years mm-hmm. ago until, especially now with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think your point about teachers, um, you know, not really knowing what to do, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. it's just human nature. And I <laughs> use the example of Shrek, like, yeah, I'm going to armor up because I don't know how to feel these feelings, or I don't yeah. want to feel these feelings because I don't know how to process them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to armor up, I'm going to go mm-hmm. to my swamp called my classroom, and I'm going <laughs> to yell at anybody who comes in here, who doesn't do what I expect or what I think mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're mean or, um, you know, that they're, they're an awful human being, right. They just are dealing with some other issues. And Mm -hmm. like with Shrek, you have to just peel back the layers and sometimes a little gently. And Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times you're crying because that's Mm -hmm. what onions do, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, you know, but I don't know. That's with the spirit of teaching. I was telling you, that's what I'm really trying to do is reach resources to teachers to say, Mm -hmm. it's okay. Your Mm -hmm. job is hard. Yeah, it is one of the hardest jobs ever. And Mm -hmm. it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay not to be perfect. And Mm -hmm. we love you anyways. We see you, hear you. And, you know, we so much appreciate what you're doing and who you are. And it's so true. And I, I can remember, you know, I still like in this position, I have teachers come to my office and just cry. And it's like they, if I could if be so brave as to generalize it, it would be like, there's so much pressure for them to perform that they are afraid to admit when something is too stressful. So they're under this pressure to have the highest test scores, to meet all these standards, to have all these things done so that, you know, they get their bonus or whatever they get like all excellence and, you know, highly effective teacher scores. And, but in the midst of that, you can't put all that pressure on yourself and then expect to, for that stress, just to kind of like dissipate on its own. It's no, you have to recognize it. Like the biggest thing if with any teacher I ever talk, I ever talked to or comes to my office and is bawling their eyes off from stress. I'm always like, what are you feeling? Like, let's start there. Let's, what are you feeling? And the amount of you know, people who are like, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm feeling. I'm just feeling stressed. And I'm like, okay, we'll start there. You're feeling stressed. Let's write out why you're feeling stressed, you know, in the midst of them. And, and it's like, okay, let's write it out. Like, let's figure it out. And it, and once they get it down on paper, you know, they look at it and they're like, oh, that's what I'm feeling. That's what the, pre- that's where all this is coming from. But you have to recognize and you have to acknowledge first. Because once we do that, then I can work more, you know, with you to get a little deeper into it. But I think that recognition and that acknowledgement is always the first step to, to realizing like, oh, okay, this is what this is. Mm-hmm. It is. So let's jump to the school you're at now, which mm-hmm. has a very diverse population. A lot yes. of ELL students who don't speak yes. English. Yes. And like I shared with you, um, there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of articles out there about mm-hmm. how ELLs are not showing up, whether it's virtually or face to face, because mm-hmm that they don't understand the school culture. They don't understand Mm -hmm. the expectations. They're even more afraid because they Mm -hmm. don't speak the language. Mm -hmm. Uh, And especially 
Asian students in the pandemic because there were being a lot of, you know, anti-Asian sentiment about mm-hmm. the pandemic and everything. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. what are you finding at your school there? Um, I kind of do a Venn diagram for us, like what is in common yeah. and what, are, what may be very particular to that group of kids as opposed to the high achieving gifted kids. Yeah, so there's a lot to consider. So there's a when I'm working with the population I work with now, um, they are a lot ELLs. Um, it's also a lower socioeconomic um, type situation. So I have a lot of students who I have a couple of students who are in foster care. I have a couple of students who are here on the national youth foster care system because they walked from South, you know, Central America. And they're here without parents. They're unaccompanied minors. And so I, I have to address a lot of different issues that come with that. You know, you're talking about an eight-year-old who walked to this country. And so now it's like, oh my gosh, you know, they don't have any family here. Um, the biggest thing that I guess what would be the same if we're talking about the Venn diagram, um, the inability and the misunderstanding of what mental health is, is across the board. Um, whether you're in a high achieving school or you're working on a lower SES population with ELLs, um, there's a lot of cultural things there, um, especially with kids who have never heard the term mental health or social emotional learning, or why is that important? You mean, what do you mean? My feelings matter. Like I'm just, you know, so that's kind of been a universal thing across of, Hey, yes, it does matter. Cause if you don't address it now and we don't learn how to, Uh, manage it now, it's going to show up in some aspect of your life, Um, whether that's going to be impulsivity choices, or you're going to end up having a really bad anxiety attack one day, or you're going to feel depressed one day and don't know why we have to start talking about that as young as like five years old, we need to have that conversation. So, um, so that's kind of been the biggest thing. And I think with working this with this population now is the student's pick it up very quickly. Um, cause I do work it with a younger population. So it's a little more malleable as the fact is I can kind of break it down for them in my SEL lessons. We can really have good conversations. Um, the language barrier can be a bit of a, a toughie sometimes, um, especially cause I don't speak Spanish. Um, but I'm learning, I'm learning, um, trying to, to be my, my language of this year, but I am trying my hardest to, you know, at least find things or create things that make sense to them that they can, we can talk about in session. Um, so that's kind of been a different issue because cultural language is huge and it shapes how you see the world. So, you know, so if you don't have this word in that language, you're not going to ever know what it is. It's not going to even be in your vocabulary. Um, versus working at the high achieving school where we had a lot of students who knew what kind of, you know, were able to at least express themselves sometimes, um, sometimes not so much, but um, there are definitely parallels from both of those that I've have pulled. And I think one more would be at the high achieving school, just the amount of pressure from even the parents on the kids. Um, I'm not seeing that so much here. Um, a lot of the parents of these children um, don't want to be involved. So that's been a drastic difference because over at the other school, I had parents who were too involved where I had to be like, 
is this about you or your student? Because you've already graduated. (laughs) (laughs) So there's, there's an adjustment there because now instead of, you know, telling parents to back off and let their kid breathe, it's please care a little bit um, about your students, you know, education and their success. Um, So pulling out a couple of things that you talked about. So Mm -hmm. it's so critical what you said about the kids if we don't work with them now and mm-hmm. get them to be, you know, emotionally healthy, functioning mm-hmm. human beings, right. it's going to show up as adults. And right. so it doesn't matter what their test scores are. It doesn't matter how much we have l- loaded on that plate of learning mm-hmm. and that they can regurgitate back. Mm-hmm. Um, if they cannot, if they're not self-aware, if they can't mm-hmm. self-regulate, if they, if we're not helping them with that Maslow's hierarchy mm-hmm. instead of the blooms, you know, the whole, yeah. ma- you know, Maslow over blooms, yeah. which has come out a lot now. And mm-hmm. so tagging into that, I think it's because it's become very, uh, we've become very aware and it's a big, um, uh, it's loud and clear now that mm-hmm. there's a lot of emotional stress. There's a lot of stuff going yeah. on in schools with teachers, with students, with parents, with home life, with school life, mm-hmm. et cetera, and that balance. So there's a prolific amount of stuff on social media mm-hmm. and also professional development about SEL. Mm-hmm. And what I had said to you earlier about teachers are looking at this and they may say, yes, but I don't know what to do. I need a Mm -hmm. lesson plan. I need some guidance. Mm -hmm. I need some resources. And they're embracing it. And they're maybe going to teacher pay teachers and buying some of this. (laughs) And it's, if they don't know how to use it, if they don't really understand what it is. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the way of PD anyways. I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm the flavor of the week, the latest thing being handed down and teachers are like, I don't really understand it and I don't need it and Mm -hmm. I don't have time for it. And, but this is so critical. And because Mm -hmm. SEL, social emotional learning, a lot of the lessons are mindfulness. They're about, you know, feelings Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, those sorts of things that sometimes are taboo for teachers <laughs> like yeah. but then also parents will say you can't talk to my child about those things so yeah can you talk a little bit about that like what would you tell yeah. teachers about SEL and how what to look for mm-hmm. and then how to implement it and use it effectively for themselves and for their kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i think it's funny you bring up social media because, um, I think SEL, you know, social emotional learning has become the new trend. And as much as I'm like, yes, finally, like we're talking about it, it needs to be done correctly. And I think that's like the biggest kind of thorn in my side was like, let's give teachers more work to do. And it's like, no, that's not what we want. (laughs) We want you talking about it, but we, we don't want to put more stuff on the teachers. Um, I think in kind of my dream world, if I could, um, I would have just a class for mental health led by a certified counselor who knew, who could implement true social emotional learning because they understand it and they have the background in it and they've gone through the education. Unfortunately, that's not true, you know, in the, in reality, it's, it's the teachers having to do it. And especially with new mandates and laws that are coming down, 
um, giving teachers, you have to do this, not even considering, are they even comfortable doing it? Can they even have these conversations being objective? Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to, you know, open up your class and talk about your own anxiety, like issues, because that may turn into you having a, you know, just burying your soul to a bunch of teenagers and that's not appropriate, you know? So it's like, how do we, there is a time and a place to do this correctly, but we need to do it correctly. And I think for teachers, the biggest piece that I always tell them is find out some background information about what it is you're, you're talking about, you know, don't just go in thinking, you know, what anxiety is, or, you know, what, whatever, you know, what kindness really means or what it means to this culture, do your research. I know it's more work, but having that extra knowledge. And when these kids ask you hard questions about it, you'll be able to answer. Um, it's much more than just handing them a worksheet. It's much more than going through a packet with them. It's breaking it down. Like what, happens when a student who is from Central America and you mentioned, you know, depression and they have this other cultural belief about depression and you have to address that. You have to, you have to address and be very sensitive to that too and understand that they may have a completely different set of beliefs and how do we mitigate that or how do we build a bridge from that to what depression really is and talking about that. So I think it's definitely unfortunately causing teachers to do more research, but I think it pays off for the students in the long run. If the teachers are able to educate themselves just a little more than social media can provide even, and just going into what the newest research says about it or going in and talking to your counselor, your school counselor, like, Hey, how do I talk to my class about this subject? I have no clue. Um, I always have my availability to come in and do lessons with the students. That's something I always do. A school counselor would, should always have, you know, time blocked. Um, and be, and so you can go in and be like, Hey, I can't talk about this topic. I need you to come do this presentation. And, and realizing that's okay. Like, I don't think less of you. Like I will not, I will much rather like you be honest and be like, Hey, like I can't, I can't do this. This is too close to home for me. I, you're going to cause more issues if you, you know, present it in a way that the kids can tell you're definitely uncomfortable with it Mm -hmm. than going and asking for help. And I'm like, absolutely. Like you go take a break. I got your class for the next 30 minutes to an hour. Like however long it's going to take me to do it. Um, because that's important to get it, get the information out there, get the coping skills out there, but do it in a way that is beneficial to everyone and not feel bad that you feel like you can't handle the pressure with that. Using counselors for that purpose more mm-hmm. than just uh, checking transcripts and yeah. boxes and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that would be a much better use of their skills and their expertise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, having a course in mental health. I know. Mm-hmm we've had like life management and all this stuff and the PE teacher teaches it. And the PE teacher is like, I'm not comfortable with this. And I don't know. And it's the same thing with like RTI, you know, Mm -hmm. Oh, you, you can't, especially language teachers. It would be like you, we only have three Spanish classes. So you have to teach three classes of reading and RTI (sighs) Just follow this template, follow this script. And they would be like, 
I don't feel like I'm really helping these kids. I don't really know mm-hmm. what I'm doing. So why do we mm-hmm. do that in education? It's so unfortunate. I don't know. That's a, that's a whole other like. Oh my gosh! Yes, answering that question, but yes, but but maybe reaching to the community too, because I was mm-hmm. a big proponent of that. Um, mm-hmm. Bringing as a language teacher, I would bring mm-hmm. businesses in. I would have yeah. them. I would bring in native speakers that could talk to the kids or I yeah. would take them on field trips there. Yeah. So, you know, maybe if there were more like maybe a mental health, you know, professional mm-hmm. business, you know, counseling services could be right. a school partner instead of yeah. Domino's pizza for a time. <laughs> you know? And, and there could be some sort of exchange of, um, of, you know, mutual benefit for the yeah. betterment of humanity there. Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. Know. And I know, I think you're absolutely right. I think the schools are slowly recognizing that. I think in the past it has not been brought up because there's this huge stigma about mental health and the certifications and even school counselors are like, what do you do all day? Like, I got that question a lot. And I'm like, okay, come follow me and I'll show you what I do all day. Why I get a, not even a lunch. Like I just eat my office and keep working. Um, but there is this, there has been this big stigma about it. And it, and I think now for better, or for worse, it's, it's coming to a halt. And I, and I say that because sometimes, especially on social media, there's been kind of this movement of false mental health information, uh, that's kind of tri- like gone into schools even where I'm like, what do you, what do you guys even know? Like, stop, like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but so I think it's good that the stigma is kind of dropping and, and schools are creating like school-based therapist positions where this therapist comes on, you know, but I think teachers, if I were to say so bluntly, I think teachers should grab a hold of that a little bit more and be like, Hey, come into my class and let's, and can you do a presentation? And, um, just kind of like being that person. And I think it's important to kind of bridge that gap, like I said, and also create that relationship with that entity that's already coming into the schools. Take advantage of that. Like let's, you know, besides groups and individuals, like, Hey, come in and, and can you teach this, um, can you teach this part about transgender stuff in my psychology book? Cause I have no idea. And I, you know, I'm supposed to be teaching AP psych and I need you to come in. And that actually happened to me. That's why I bring it up. But I was, you know, and I did, and I was like, perfect. Awesome. I'll come in and talk about sex and gender and, you know, <clears throat> and then what that means to students and how that looks and ta- being able to talk about it in a very um, easy way so that they are able to understand, but also bringing in my, my experience and what I've studied and how I've handled clients and stuff like that, who struggle with that and, or who are coming out with that. So I think it's important to kind of make those relationship with, with those outside entities to come Mm -hmm. in and provide that layer of support. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, we could go on and on and on and talk about (laughs) this forever. Is there anything that you would like to share with teachers? I'm going to put a, a, your, your website, um, yeah. you know, in, in, you know, the, the bethinkgrow.com and yes. the, the podcast notes and everything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'll also have it on the spirit of teaching website under resources oh, awesome. and everything. So, Thank you. but is there anything you would like to, to just some final words to teachers? And then we're going to do a little like rapid fire round of complete the thought. And uh, Oh, cool. So, um, so bethink grow, just to kind of give an overview is kind of a passion project. Well, not kind of, it is my passion project. 
um, I found that tons of students and families really didn't have a first place to find out mental health information. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a lot of parents out there and teachers who look at a 504 or an IEP and be like, what does mm -hmm. this mean? And, um, and even a lot of parents who are like, how do I get a 504 for my kids? So I kind of wanted to provide a service of just consultation, a service of advocacy for students, teachers, you know, about mental health. Um, so I really started it just to try to get resources out there to break down some barriers and talk about tough subjects. Um, a lot of my kind of like the writing in there is more of, hey, let's talk about this. Um, and then eventually, like, I want to have a bunch of resources as well for other school counselors, um, just just a little more education on certain subjects as they're moving forward into more of a the ASCA model of school counseling programs with data and um, actual like counseling with students and groups and stuff. So it's it's a it's a it's a project I am hoping will, um, you know, reach out to people and help them to to really feel more comfortable about the subject of mental health. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a great cause and a great passion <laughs> project to have. So, Thank um, you. all right. So I want you to just finish my thought. This is like a little rapid fire at the end. All and there's righty. no right or wrong answer. And it can be one word. It can be many words. So, okay, okay you ready? <laughs> all right. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> all right. So teaching is. A beautiful profession. That's probably the first thing that comes to mind. It is. Beautiful, but hard. But beautiful, beautiful, but hard. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. My greatest hope for all teachers is. Oh, that they take care of themselves too. Because they're, they pour out too much sometimes and you've got to pour back in or you don't, you lose yourself and that's never. And I just want to take a chance to say that take care of yourself doesn't mean just take a bubble bath and everything goes away. No. Talking no, no, no. about how you feel and talking, mm -hmm. you know, those strategies, those things that I'm sure you have all on your website and everything about mm -hmm. how do you, how do you, how do you share? How do you open up? How do you process those things? How do you, you know, it's not just a bubble bath. Self-care is not a bubble it's bath. It's not. Self-care is not it's a great, bubble bath. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's not that. Okay. It's not, no. <laughs> yeah, yes. Misconceptions, like we said, like with SEL yeah. and mm -hmm. that self-care is just a bubble bath. Yeah. My greatest hope for all children is? Uh, is to grow up to love to learn and, uh, and always remain teachable. Be open. Not a know-it-all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> lifelong exactly. <learner. laughs> lifelong, you have to be. You have to be. Yes, yes. What I want everyone, especially the decision makers, like mm. legislators and, and district person, you know, higher up per superintendents and stuff, mm -hmm. to know about the importance of mental health in schools is... Ooh, that is a loaded question for me because I... Uh, to know that it needs to be done appropriately by qualified professionals that need to create these programs and have enough time to create these programs with enough funds and for people who actually know how to do it like don't just tell us we have to give nine hours and decide that we have to do it right now without preparing or giving us any anything else to do with that um, and also just really knowing the classroom go spend a day in the classroom 
and then come back and tell me, you know, what needs to be addressed and what you saw and what needs to be fixed um, before just kind of handing down more standards and more mandates and more laws that we have to abide to without even touching foot into what the issues are. But you're bringing up a lot of these feelings and emotions that Mm -hmm. are causing the anxiety. So don't just sweep it under the carpet. We need to bring it out. We need to bring it out. We need to talk about it. We need to have multiple conversations about it. There needs to be programs that are done, like I said, by certified professionals who know what they're doing and not some, you know, somebody who's never had experience in mental health and telling us this will work. No, no, no. It's not going to work because that's not how mental health works. <laughs> yep. yep. So. <laughs> redefine. The, I mean, I don't know if it's redefine the role of counselors, but bring it back to the mm-hmm. forefront that counselors are counselors. They're not absolutely transcript keepers or record and glorified keepers. secretaries. Exactly. That type of thing for sure. Cause that's, we at the base of us are counselors and we have the education and we have the expertise and we have the knowledge and we're willing to do these things. We want to do these things. We, you know, we want to have groups and individuals and, and all this stuff, like stop giving us paperwork to do, like hire a secretary to do it because there's so much more that you're just letting fall by the wayside by not taking advantage of the, you know, professionals you already have in the school. That sounds like a teacher story too. Anybody in education now. Very I guess. closely related. <laughs> well, thank you, Hannah. Yes, of course. Hello again, everyone. This is your host, Linda Markley. And I'd like to invite you to nominate a teacher to be a guest on the podcast and to share their story. All you have to do is go to www.spiritofteaching.org and fill out the nomination form. Again, that's www.spiritofteaching.org. Also, please share, rate, and give some feedback to help us better serve you in the spirit of teaching. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to having you back next time on Teacher Tales.